with me as you turn. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. Again, then we'll read. I uh, will read several verses here. We'll read, if you would, through verse, uh, verse 10. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and of women, and all that could hear with the understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Messiah. And on his right hand and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Micaiah and Hashem and Hashbidah, and Zechariah, and Meshulam. And all of them in heaven are laughing at us tonight. All right. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, and all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord, and their faces to the ground. And Joshua, and Benai, and Sherebiah, and Jamin, and Aqab, and Shabbathiah, and Hodijah, and Messiah, and blah, 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 all right, caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is, is Tershatha, and Ezra the priest of the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord our God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then said he unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this passage of Scripture and these two incredible books that remind us of the faithfulness of God and the way you would continue to work in their peop your people's lives even after 70 years of captivity. And I pray that as we get a broad overview of these books that it would open up our eyes to the Scripture as we read it on our own. But, Lord, as well as we turn to the message tonight, I pray that you'd feed us from your word and strengthen our hearts. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe see the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, two books written after the captivity, really, uh, really just after that 70 years of Babylonian captivity. As Jeremiah had prophesied, the Lord had given the word, 70 years of captivity the people would face because of their rebellion against the Lord, specifically even in some of the areas of ignoring the Sabbath and various other things that they had done. And so God sent them into 70 years of, of captivity. These two books remind us of the faithfulness of the Lord. I'm thankful for a faithful God. And uh, you see in these books that God would keep his word. He would bring them out of that captivity and he would still work in the lives of his people even during the course, even after all of that rebellion. Ezra is the continuation of the historical books. Matter of fact, the historical books from, books from the time of uh, post-captivity were Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And as you read those, you get that glimpse uh, there. But the prophetical books concerning this time were Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And it's not in chronological order, you know, as the Old Testament is not. But these are specifically when it comes to the book of Nehemiah, 
It's the last in terms of time. It's, it's the last of the books. It records some of the last of times, the historical books, uh, several years after the, the end of Second Chronicles concludes. And uh, it's one of those last in terms of what we see about the history of Israel before the New Testament dawns. The writer of this book, obviously, is Ezra, possibly of both of them. He is one character, I think, who has not received proper recognition. He was a descendant of Hilkiah and the high priest who found a copy, the, the high priest who found a copy of the law during the reign of Judah, Josiah. Ezra, as a priest, was unable to serve during the captivity, but he gave his time of study of the Word of God. He was, as the Bible says in Ezra, Ezra 7, 6, a ready scribe in the law of Moses, a ready scribe in the law of Moses. He had devoted himself to the Word of God. Ezra was a great revivalist and reformer. We're going to look at some of that revival here in chapter 8 here in a moment. But, uh, but God would use him in an incredible way. He was probably the same writer. He also probably wrote First and Second Chronicles and possibly, some think, Psalms 119. When you read Psalms 119, you see the devotion of the author to the Scripture and to the Word of God and his love for God's Word. And you see some of that unfold. Ezra was a ready scribe. When it came to the word of God, God would use him to help the people get the word of God and to bring the attention of the people back to the word of God. As he would write these books of Ezra, Nehemiah, First and Second Chronicles, and possibly Psalms 119. The theme of these books is obviously the word of God. There are 11 direct references to the word of God. Ezra, Ezra drew the people's attention back to the word. It was their disobedience to the word of God that led them into captivity. And it was their obedience to the word of God that would keep them out of it. And he drew their attention to the scripture and to the word of God. And I, I think, Christian, the, the word of God is meant to be the central part of our life. He would emphasize the place of the word of God in the total life of his people. In their religious, social, business, and political life, he would draw their attention to the word of God. From the hymn that we sing, Standing on the Promises, is not meant just to be a hymn that we sing. It's meant to be the way a Christian lives. That we review every aspect of our lives through the lens of Scripture and we apply it to our life and we live by its promises and live by its commands and live by its teachings. And Ezra would draw their attention to that. The key phrase of Ezra was trembled at the word of, word of, words of God of Israel. He would draw their attention back to it. The Babylonian captivity did not bring the Jews to national repentance and so lead to national restoration. Matter of fact, there was only about 50,000 of the people that would come out of, of Babylon and back into Israel as, when they were allowed to go free. This is an amazing number when you consider how many went into captivity concerning those that came out. Some of them have grown, had grown comfortable in the prosperity of Babylon. They had grown comfortable there in its prosperity and in the things of the world. And so when it came time to go back, not only was it a difficult journey, but they had the benefits already of being in Babylon and living in that world. And some of them just did not want to go back. Though there was revival in, in, in the remnant that remained, there was no national revival. And as a result of that, we would see no national restoration of Israel. And that's not going to happen really. And uh, we see it in the nation of Israel a little bit, but primarily at the return of the Lord, but they saw no national re, uh, revival in that, or no national uh, restoration. The key word of Nehemiah is the word, just the simple, small word, so. It occurs 32 times in the book of Nehemiah, and it denotes a man of action in few words. Nehemiah was a man of action. He was a man that God would use to come back and rebuild the walls there uh, around Jerusalem. Some of the key verses were Ezra 7.10, 
For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. There's an important verse to remember. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. I, I, the call of the Christian is a heart prepared to seek the Lord and to do it and to teach it. It ought to be in the heart of all of us to grab a hold of the Scripture and the Word of God. Nehemiah 1.5 And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then in six, chapter 6 and verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Ezra would draw the hearts of the people back towards the word of God. Nehemiah would be used to rebuild those walls. And I highlight in that verse that he, why should I leave the work that God has called me to do? He wouldn't come down off the wall. He wouldn't come down off of serving the Lord. And some incredible passages of scripture. These are probably two of my favorite books of the Old Testament. I, there's, I, have, I wouldn't put them at the top, but pretty close to the top, two of my favorite. There's so many lessons to be learned from these, from these books uh, for the Christian today. The purpose of the book, Nehemiah was a layman and Ezra was a priest. In the book of Ezra, the emphasis is upon the rebuilding of the, t- of, of the temple. In the book of Nehemiah, the emphasis on, upon building the walls of Jerusalem. In Ezra, we have a religious aspect of the return. In Nehemiah, we have the political aspect of the return. Ezra is a fine representative of the priest and scribe, and Nehemiah is a noble representative of the businessman. Nehemiah had an important office at the court and of the powerful Persian king. He had an important office. When we think of him being a cupbearer, we think of that as a, as a small thing, but, but it wasn't in returns. It was a very trusted person. He had a place in the court. Uh, he was a man uh, who was highly respected in that day. And you can see the trust that uh, the emperor would have when he entrusted him with the going back to Israel and rebuilding the walls. But it speaks of how God would use the layman, if you will, in the building of the walls and how he would use Nehemiah to bring about revival. And these two men that would labor together in their service of the Lord. And uh, many lessons to be, to be learned. I'll, briefly, if you would, look at this outline here of the book. Outline of, the first of all, we see a return from Babylon led by Zerubbabel. The first chapters, chapters 1 through 6, are more about Zerubbabel and that first exit or first uh, going back to, to uh, Israel. Uh, it was by decree of Cyrus. Uh, the unique thing about Cyrus was in Isaiah 44, 28, it says, who saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be it built, thou shalt be built, and to the temple the foundation shall be laid. Two hundred years before Cyrus was born, the Lord would name him and, and notice him as the one who would give the order for people to come out of Israel. Uh, one of the incredible things, just showing that the reliability of the Word of God, is that 200 years before the Lord would announce his birth, prophesy his coming, and he would come and send his people uh, back, into, uh, back to Jerusalem. Uh, about 50,000 of them, not all would go. Not all would go. Uh, There's some other notes there. But finally, in chapter 7 through 10, we see Ezra return. Ezra goes back for the rebuilding of the temple. And uh, roughly just just some two to 4,000 people would return with him uh, when he would return back into Jerusalem. In Nehemiah, this last of the books, uh, from a historical perspective, giving us some of the last timetables of the people of Israel, 
You would see the rebuilt, rebuilding of the walls. He would be about 15 uh, years or so after uh, Ezra would first go back. Matter of fact, between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Ezra, there's a time span of about 58 years. Zerubbabel had gone back and taken those almost 50,000 people back into Jerusalem. And there was actually a time period of about 58 years before Ezra would go back to rebuild the temple. 80 years from Ezra chapter 1 to Ezra chapter 7, an entire generation of those would go back and be able to lay the foundation but not rebuild the temple. And then Ezra would return. After Ezra had returned, it would be about another 15 years before Nehemiah would come. Uh, at an order to rebuild those walls. And Nehemiah is an important book because if you were to go to Daniel chapter 9, you'd see the Lord give that prophecy of, of 70 weeks and uh, until the coming of the Lord or 70 periods of, of 70 years and, uh, or seven, 70, uh, 70 periods of 7 years leading up to 400 and some odd years before the Messiah would be cut off. It was the starting of that timetable uh, of when the Messiah would come. And Nehemiah is that book that begins that timetable so that the people could have a countdown from the time they returned to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to the time the Messiah was come. That is how when the wise men would come to Babylon, they knew that general time frame. Matter of fact, what's sad is that wise men from the east came, but the people of God who knew the prophecies of God in Jerusalem even knew where he was to be born in Bethlehem completely missed it all. Uh, they had a timetable, they had a location, and they had all of those things, and yet they completely missed the promises of God. The scripture under their nose, supposed to be students of the word of God, and yet they completely ignored the timetable God gave them in Daniel chapter 9, the location that was there uh, and that God would give them, and over and over again, many of those incredible prophecies that they would miss. But it all began with Nehemiah and that, that returning to, to rebuild God would use these men to start that, that, this, this amazing uh, revival among the people. In chapter 8, we see that. And I want to look at some of these aspects of this revival. I think of that song, Revive Us Again. And I, I think of that when I think of these two books of Nehemiah and Ezra. You went back in Israel's time, and go back into Israel history, you could see the times of when uh, spiritual lows and spiritual highs, I think of the times uh, under David. I think when the tabernacle was finished back under Moses. I think of when the temple was built under Solomon. We think of some of those kings who loved and served God and the spiritual highs to which God brought the people. And then we see those incredible lows. And the lowest of them all is when God let them go for 70 years into captivity. He let them go into 70 years of captivity because of their turning away from him and their ignoring of the law of God and the word of God. In this passage of Scripture, we see that revival as those that would return began to see God work in their midst. And in chapter 8, we see that unfold. And I, I want you to notice some things here about uh, in this passage of Scripture. The first thing we see is the heart of the people. Look at verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. You see the heart of the people. They had a heart to seek out the word of God. The people went to Ezra and said, and, uh, said, bring us the book, bring us the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 23 through 31, it says this. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. 
When thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remaining long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord of thy God, to provoke him to anger, I call to heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from the land, whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the works of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou shalt seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul when thou art in tribulation, and all the things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. They had reaped what God had warned them of in Deuteronomy. They had turned from the Lord, and as a result of that, God had allowed them to be scattered. And here in this passage of Scripture, we see them returning to the Lord to the point that they're calling for the Word of God. You know, you you see an incredible lesson in here. I, I tell you this, your spirituality will rise to the level of your commitment to the Word of God. The spirituality of your home will rise to the level of commitment to the Word of God. I will tell you, neglect the word of God, neglect the spiritual life. Uh, You know, Christian, hey, parents, I would tell you this. Look to your children's walk with God. You want a barometer of whether they will continue for the Lord? Look to their walk with God. Are they in his word? Do they have a relationship with the Lord? Do they know what it's like to read the Bible and receive something from it? To spend some time in prayer? Are they hungry for the word? Are they hungry for the word? I will tell you this, if we're not careful, we're so distracted by other things that we are no longer hungry for the word of God. Friend, in this passage of scripture, we see them seeking it out, asking for it to be read. We want to hear it. We want to receive it. Bring it into my life. And friend, I will tell you this, there is our spiritual, God has given us one book and it's a completed book. It is the word of God. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. You know the verse. And, and I'll tell you this, you cannot, there is no spirituality outside of the book. If you're saying I'm a spiritual person, but you're not in it. I've seen folks post and, and say things that sound so spiritual, but no Bible in it at all. I mean, you could say fine words, but where's the word? Where's the word? We see them seeking it out. And, and we see the revival that was beginning as the people had a heart to seek out, uh, to seek the Lord and to seek his word. And Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he shall have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. They had a hungry heart. Not only were they seeking him, but they were hungry for it. It says in verse 3, And he read there and before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. It's one thing to, to hear it read. It's another thing to be attentive to it, isn't it? It's one thing to have one go, something go in one ear and out the other. It's another to really seek it out, to hear it, and to say, how does this apply to my life? There is a difference. Not only did they seek it out and say, bring us the word, 
But when it was read, they were attentive to it. They wanted what was there. They wanted to apply it to their life, if you will, as the book of James would say, not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Give us the word. Uh, You see this revival from a people who neglected the scripture, who are now calling for the scripture. Give us the scripture. Give us the scripture and uh, read it to us, bring it to us. They were hungry for it. They were attentive to it. Notice this, they had a reverent heart for it. Look at, go down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people, what? Stood up. We still have that tradition of standing out of reverence for the word of God. As long as you're able. And Ezra blessed the people and the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen. With lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Here we see there was a reverence for it. They, they were hungry, they were, they were seeking it, they were attentive to it. They, they recognized what it was that they had in the word of God. It was a word from God and there was a reverence for it. Now there is a lost word in our world, word in our culture. Matter of fact, it's like we're trying to excuse away a need to be reverent sometimes when it comes to the things of God. I'm not saying every time need to walk in and have a suit and tie on, Right? But this book is a different book, isn't it? It's a different book. It's unlike any other book. It's the word of God for you and I. And as it was read, they stood for it. And they listened to it and they were attentive to it. And they wanted to apply it. They worshiped. They raised their hand and bowed their faces to the ground in humility to what was there. Talk about a difference. You want something from the word of God, seek him out. Be hungry for it. Reverent towards the scripture and what you have in the word of God. It is God's word. I think of the importance of reverence. I, you know, I think of this when we're singing hymns and, and songs of that. There's some, certain songs, you know, just call you to, and there's nothing wrong with standing and setting and all that, but there's certain songs I have a hard time singing sitting down. <laughs> How great thou art. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder considered all, the worlds thy hands have made. You mean to sing about how, who God is? Friend, I, that song makes me want to stand. <laughs> oh, there's other songs we can, we can sing from a seated position, almost as seeking, seeking God's face. I, I think a sweet hour in pra- of prayer, just a sweet abiding in his presence, just walking with him. But some songs call you to stand and worship and reverence. I think of a book that when we hold it, it's unlike any other book. As you pick it up at the side of your, in the morning for your devotions, as we stand in the church service, as we hear it read and hear it taught. And friend, I, I think there's something to be said for reverencing this book and let it even be seen in our actions. I remember when I was a kid, you were, you, you were taught, uh, you know, you, you never set anything else on top of it. How I remember that? Never put it on the floor. <laughs> Certain things you did with it because you knew it was something different than every other book. Now, many times we read it on our phone while swiping away the Facebook notifications, trying to get our attentions on the word. Just another book. It's God's word. You see people who are hungry for it. They called for it. They were attentive to it. They were reverent when it came to the word of God. And, and it was the beginnings, if you will, of a revival. An Old Testament Bible conference as their attention was drawn into the scripture.
the centrality of the word, let her be the centrality of the word. Again, it was the pursuit of the people. It's what they wanted was the word of God. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, it says, And for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. And uh, Paul would tell Timothy, there's coming a day when people are going to want nothing to do with the word of God. They want to be entertained. They want short things, but they do not want the word of God. That was not this people. Give us the word. Give us the word. Give me the word of God. It's what I need for my life. And I tell you something, Christian. There ought to be a hunger in our heart for the word. We ought to seek it. We ought to be hungry for it. We ought to be reverent towards it in, in the condition of our heart. And I'm not saying that when you walk in to have your devotions, you stand and, uh, and open it up. But is it like any other book in your life? And yet, if we're not careful, we'll treat it like every other book of our life. Matter of fact, we'll look first to read what somebody has to say about the Bible than we will ever read to see what the Bible has to say about itself. Or, and I'm all for devotionals. I read some on my own, but, but I will tell you this. Our first, our first study should be the Word first. And there was a reverence for it, and it was the pursuit of the people. It was the point of the preaching. It was the point of the preaching. Verse 4, it says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose... Verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Verse 8, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. What he was doing was he was preaching. That's what he was doing. He was opening up the word of God. He was reading the word of God. And he was giving the sense of the word of God and expounding the word of God. And he was preaching the word of God. And it was the point of the day. <laughs> To preach the truth of God's word. Friend, it's a lot of why we do what we do in church. The point was the preaching. Can I, can I tell you something? The point was the word. When we go to church, the point is the word. <laughs> now, friend, I enjoy great messages that prepare the heart and draw us into worship of the Lord and those songs and things of that nature. And it is a need. I enjoy the other activities and things that we have. And, uh, but the point is the word of God. I think in a junior church, when you go up the street, the games and the stories and all those important things, you grab a hold of the hearts of the young people. But the point is the message that will be delivered. As they're up there at Master Club, they'll have other things they're learning in competitions. But the point is the word of God that they would get it. And friend, when churches become the bulk of them about something else, we're missing the main point. In a lot of places... Matter of fact, when you see this passage of Scripture, you're going to see in a moment how the hearts of the people were stirred, and we don't have a record of one song. Not one song. They didn't sing themselves into a feeling. God grabbed a hold of their heart through the Word of God. Now, don't get me wrong. I love music, and don't please, if you're a musician here tonight, don't feel like I'm running that down. I'm not. Because it's an important part. And I can take you to places in Scripture where the Bible calls our attention to sing. Matter of fact, I can take you to a whole book in Psalms that was the hymnal of, of the people of Israel. But the point of it all was God's Word. God's Word. I think of that even in music. Boy, music ought to be hinged around the Word of God. I think you can 
put a, I, think, I think you can put a song into your life or throw it out of your life based on its obedience to the word of God. Now, here's a sorry state. Many folks are filling their lives all week long with songs that sing about things that are contrary to the word of God. They're singing themselves into the flesh rather than into the spirit. That's what's happening. And matter of fact, even in our Christian circles, in our churches, the measure of whether a a song stirs a man's heart is its closeness to the world's music and nothing to do with the content. That's not a stirring of the spirit, friend. That is the flesh. The flesh can make you feel good. The flesh can make you feel good. But there was a pulling away from the word of God in the central. What we see here in this passage of scripture, there was a people that were hungry for it. They were attentive to it and seeking it out and, uh, and, and they were reverent towards the word of God. And, and we see here as, uh, as it became the, the, the pursuit of the people and the point of the preaching and friend, it was the preeminent item of their life. Look at verse three. It says here, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until what? Midday. Before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. From the morning until midday. <laughs> we're going to try that. No, we're not. All right. No, but did you see something? Why is it they could focus in on the word of God? Because it was number one. It was number one. Do you know why we grow weary with the word of God? Because it's not number one. It's not number one. Uh, we can go to ball games for hours. People can go to music, con- music con- uh, concerts for hours. But a message better be 30 minutes. Sunday school lesson better be 30. If not, I'm wore out. I'm not saying there's not some normal natural aspects to that, but I'm telling you something. What we see here is the number one thing in the eyes of the people was give me the word. Give me the word. It was in this passage of scripture, we see it was the pursuit of the people. It was the point of the preaching. And it was the preeminent item of their day. And this was just the reading part. As they read through it. And uh, I I would wage that we could listen to music in our hours for ears, but to put in the reading of the scripture into our ears. How long? I'm going to say some of this just... The flesh is what it is, right? It's not what our flesh wants. It's not what my flesh is after. But we see in this passage of Scripture that uh, what happened here is they began to hear it, and we see the, the heart of the people. They were hungry for it. They, they were seeking it. They were reverent. The centrality of the word in it, the pursuit of the people, the point of the preaching and the preeminent item, and then we see the move of the Lord. Look what happened here. It says in verse, uh, read verse 8 into verse 9. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. 
and Nehemiah, which, uh, which is the Tershitha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. The conviction of the Lord set in. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in the sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. And their hearts, it smote them. They could see in the word who God was, and they could see their own condition, and they knew they didn't measure up. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in the sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Boy, their hearts were convicted. As they made the word of God, as they turned to the word of God in hunger, as they heard the word of God preached, as they devoted themselves to it and set aside everything else to it and listened to it for the day, as they focused their attention on it, something happened natural to the working of God, the conviction. Conviction. I will tell you, a lack of conviction in our lives is either due, when it comes to Scripture, it's either, it's either due to a, uh, things that are not, a message that's not central to the Word of God or a heart that's not receptive to the Word of God. The Word of God is the Word of God. It's got to do something in my heart. It's going to stir in my life. And we see the conviction that set in as they heard it. Uh, the, the conviction they received. Then we see this, the dedication to the Lord. Verse 9 again. Uh, it says in the middle, at 9, Then Nehemiah, which is the Tarshitha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Verse 10, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. I believe this. Uh, there was a change in their heart. Boy, when conviction sets in, it ought to bring about a dedication to the Lord. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God calls us to depart from iniquity. They were convicted, and then they were called to dedicate something unto the Lord. Leave off the sin and dedicate it to the Lord. There was a change. They were in the midst of the feast days. Some of the feast days, you'll see this call here in a minute. And he was beginning those feast days anew. The feasts that had been neglected, the Sabbaths that had been neglected for so many times, he drew their attention back to them and dedicated them unto the Lord. There was a conviction that produced a turn and a change in their life. Uh, the scripture, uh, when, it's a, when we approach the word of God and uh, with, a, with the right heart and the right attitude, it does a work in our heart. The conviction of the Lord, the dedication to the Lord. Then we see this, the joy of the Lord. Notice what he said at the end of verse 10. Or no, we just read all the verse. Then he said to them, go your way, eat, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, hold your peace for the day is holy. Neither, to be, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth. Uh, mirth. Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. 
Uh, boy, I think of this as you read it. There was conviction, there was dedication, and there was rejoicing. I think of this, friend. Conviction and dedication produce joy in the heart of a Christian. There's only one person who walks away miserable from a convicting message. The one who doesn't dedicate. The one who doesn't correct. A convicting message, a convicting scripture that steps upon the toes of our heart. When we surrender to it, it produces a heart that is right with God and leaves joy in its place. Misery follows the one who refuses to dedicate. You know that one who comes and they squirms all the way through the, through the invitation and walks out, doesn't want to return because their heart's always bothered, their life's not right, and they blame it on the judgmental church. And really, everybody smiled and shook their hand on the way and was kind as they could, but that church was still judgmental. No, 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 the Holy Spirit of God was judging their heart, but they refused to get right. And they walked out miserable. You know what it's like to pick up the scripture and have your heart touched and broken? You pray and you find the forgiveness and the mercy of God that's new every day. There's a joy that comes over your heart. Because you know you are where you should be with the Lord. Joy follows conviction and dedication. It brings rejoicing in the heart. But the heart that rejects it walks away miserable as they should because they are away from their God. And in this passage of Scripture, we see that revival begin to sweep through Israel as they said, give us the word. Give us the word. They pursued it and they heard it and they received the joy of the Lord. And then we see it continue in verse 13. And on the second day, they were gathered together, the chief of the fathers of all the people, of the priests of the Levites, and to Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Uh, and that they should publish and proclaim it in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth into the mountain, fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and the branches of thick trees to make booze as it was written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booze, every one on the roof of his house. I'm going to pause there. This was part of the Day of the Atonement and some of the Feasts of the Tabernacles and the way in which they celebrated it. But what you find out is that God, as they focused in on the scripture and the word of God, as God broke, spoke to their heart, conviction and dedication and joy returned. They walked out of there and they continued in it. They continued in obedience. They kept, if you will, they kept the, the things that they had been taught and the things that they had received. It wasn't down here one moment and out the same. Their life was touched and changed. A decision made, a practice in their life. A decision made was practiced in their life. God had done a work in their life. I, I will tell you this. Repentance isn't, repentance and turning back to the Lord. It's, it's not feeling sorry about it, praying a quick apology, getting up and five minutes later be back in it. Now, friend, don't get me wrong. There's the, the reality of, we, we still got this flesh, don't we? 
Bible says the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. That battle's going to wage from this day to eternity. That flesh and the spirit bucking up against one another. And you're going to struggle. I'm not going to say all things will be done and everything will be easy. That struggle will be different. But there's going to be a heart's desire and a walk that says I'm going to be lived different tomorrow than I did today because of what God did in my heart. I will tell you this, a commitment to wage the battle with the flesh is what enters in. Rather than contentedness to stay in the sin, there's a commitment to wage battle with the flesh. And some people just give in to it. And others seem to decide to do battle with it. To mortify, to die to the flesh, and to walk in the spirit. And you see in this people, God's doing a revival through the middle of Israel, through this remnant not all the nations. Some of them didn't even want to come out of Babylon. <laughs> They'd been taken into captivity and they liked it. <laughs> they liked it. And they stayed there. Some 50,000 of them came out. And revival was taking place. Give us the word. Give us the word. Give us the word. I, we want to hear it. We want it to be the number one. And we're hungry for it. Ezra would stand up on a pulpit wood way above the people and begin to preach the word, to read it, to give the sense of it, to preach and teach it. And as they heard it, their hearts were convicted over their, how they had been disobedient to it for many years and faced captivity to it, and their heart was broken, and they wept. And Ezra said, don't stay down there weeping. There is a God who's brought us out. This day is holy unto the Lord. Start rejoicing in a heart that was changed and the joy that came. And as they walked out of their commitment to follow the Lord, that went beyond the moment. That went beyond the moment. Their life was changed. And what catches my attention about it all is the Word of God. All of it had to do with the relationship to His Word. All of it. The relationship to His Word. I will tell you something, Christian. All of it has to do with our relationship to his word. In your home, you've got five children. You know, I, I'm doing some things to shape their behavior. There's something more important to me than just shaping their behavior. It is their heart. Do you, do you know what the most important day of their day for me is for every day? To walk into this schoolroom? No. To walk into their choice? No. There's a moment when they get up, walk down, take their Bible open, and read it on that couch in the morning before they go about their day. The most important moment of their day for me is that moment. Friend, everything else is good, but if they don't get from God in that moment and don't learn to walk from God, I will put an expiration date on when they come here. Put an expiration date on it. You can have a creed and no relationship, and you'll walk away from a creed, but it's hard to walk away from a relationship. My heart's desire for my children and everything that they get is they know how to get a hold of God, to turn the pages of Scripture, to read it, to have God speak to their heart, to pray and ask of God, and to walk out that door and be surrendered to the Lord in their life. That is the most important 
moment of their day. When it comes to Sunday, the most important moments of their day is when the Word of God is taught. If I have an educated child, but not a spiritual child, I've, I've focused on the temporary and missed the eternal. If I have a wealthy child, and, but not a spiritual child, they'll have got the temporary and missed the eternal. If I have a talented child, but not a spiritual child, they will have talent for a time, only for it to fade. The most important thing of their life is their spiritual life, and everything else must come into line with their spiritual life. And I will tell you this, Christian, for you, your relationship with the Word of God matters. And when you look to your family, their relationship with God is what matters. You ought to look at your family in your eye, look at your children in the eye. You ought to ask them, where are you reading in your Bible? What did you get from your Bible? What are you praying for? If they don't have it, give them a place. If they don't have a prayer list, help them start one. And lead them. Bring them up, dads, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Teach them. It's hard to bring someone to where you are not. So get one yourself. Get one yourself. But in this nation that would experience revival, it all was focused around the Word of God. Don't make the Word of God the tag on. Make it the center of everything. It ought to be the center of absolutely everything in your life. From the place that it's preached, why is this place so important? Because it's God's house and fellowship. It's the place we go to hear from God's Word. Why is Sunday school important? It's the place where they go to learn from God's word. Why is church so important? It's the place where we go to where we hear from God's word. Why is your devotional life right? It's the place where you go to hear from God's word. And if you pull that out of it, you miss the point of everything. The word of God. Here's a nation. And they looked and said, give it to us. Ezra, go get the law and read it to us. And he read it from morning to noonday. And they were still attentive. He read for hours and they were still listening. Then he opened it up after he had read it and he began to preach it, to give the sense of it and to preach it. And their hearts were were convicted and they wept. He would look to them and rejoice. God's still working in your life. Rejoice. (laughs) Get right with God. Move on. Live right for the Lord. And all of it around this book. Look to your personal relationship. But then, friend, every other aspect of our life should come under the lens of this book. And things that don't lead in line with this book should probably go away. And things that lead in line with it, we should bring into our life. It's the central part of it all. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for all that you've done for us and given to us. I thank you for the home we have in heaven and the blood you shed on Calvary and I thank you for the scripture that we hold in our hand tonight, and I'm thankful for this place of scripture. Israel experiencing a revival. The revival was centered around the scripture and what you had given to them, and they're walking in obedience to it. And I don't know that you've changed your plan much. It's to draw us near to you and near to your word. Lord, I, I just pray that we would have a recommitment to your word. I, I know it's a Wednesday night. People come here because they do love the word of God. It's not a folks out of love with your word, but... I pray that that love for the Lord and for His Word would grow. If we've neglected our walk, that we would bring it back into line. If our families are away from it, that we'd bring their attention back to it. Or if we have some aspect of our life that we know is in clear rebellion to the Word of God, that we'd eliminate it and bring our lives back into 
line with the word of God, that we would be reverent toward it, that we lift it up and humble ourselves before God and see you work in our heart and life. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And how many of you would say this evening, preacher, I know that I'm saved. That's a settled thing for me. If you know Christ as your Savior, would you raise your hand as a testimony and, and just raise your hand between you and I and the Lord. I thank you so much. I, it's Wednesday night. I trusted Christ on a Wednesday night, and I, I would hate to neglect the fact that someone may not know the Lord. Anybody here say, preacher, I'm unsure about my salvation, but I, I want to know Christ tonight. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody like that? Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart? Maybe it's a conviction for your family. Folks, our families need to be in the Word. We need to lead them into the Word. Maybe it's your own personal walk. Maybe there's something God laid on your heart that's in your life that's outside of what He would have for us according to the Scripture. We say, preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart this evening. Would you raise your hand as a testimony and... Would you stand with me as that uh, pianist begins to play, as the invitation is given and time of prayer is offered up? Why don't you deal, do business with the Lord? Maybe, maybe it's personal. Maybe it's your family. <clears throat> right, don't, don't neglect the word and don't neglect the obedience to it. There was a nation that went into, there was a nation that went into captivity because of their neglect of its teaching and its commandments. And there were some who came out of it and they came out of it by walking in obedience to it. Friend, we're either on our way into bondage or on our way out of bondage based upon our commitment to the Scripture or they're walking in line with it. But as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord. See.